Thank you very much and welcome. I'm Father Mitch Packle. Welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from all around the world. Before we get to him, I just want to remind you that today is Ash Wednesday. Even on one of the news shows late last night, they were talking about what they, as news people, were going to give up for Lent. And this is a good thing to do. Fasting is and abstaining is a very good part of this Lenten discipline. So have a blessed, blessed Lent. And in fact, tonight, our topic will be a great introduction to Lent. It's be about giving things up as well as doing things correctly. We'll talk about how people who are suffering from addictions and unhealthy attachments, also about how their friends and family members who care about them can find healing and restoration through 12-step recovery programs. Together with the sacramental life of the church, before we get to that conversation, I also want to take another moment to mention that this Friday marks the one-year anniversary of the beginning of the war between Russia and Ukraine. So I'd like to give a video message from the Director General of EWTN Ukraine. This is Father Oleksandr Zelinsky, who are OMI. And he's in the chapel at the EWTN uh, studio in Kyiv. So let's take a listen. Dear EWTN's family, uh, dear brothers and sisters in, from different countries in the world, uh, one year ago started a big aggression against our country. We still experience a war and all its consequences. Asking God for this real peace which we need now. Thank you for all your prayers, uh, uh, different kinds of uh, solidarity and support which we experience during this time. Please uh, remember about us in your prayers. As EWTN Ukraine, we still continue our mission, spreading the truth, good news of our Lord. Uh, from this chapel in Kyiv, uh, we broadcast everyday masses. We produce different programs and uh, films. We try to proclaim God's mercy and hope to those who need it now. I want to invite you to pray now a short prayer, Hail Mary, asking uh, our Queen of Peace, Our Lady, for the peace in Ukraine and in the whole uh, world. Uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are those among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for everything. Please stay with us in your prayers. Amen. Amen. And we'll continue to pray, especially to Our Lady of Fatima, for a peaceful resolution to this conflict. Um, this has been great suffering, great suffering. So we want to pray for the people of Ukraine. 
Our guest tonight is a young man who at one point in his life couldn't go one day without ingesting some kind of mind-altering substance, alcohol, different drugs. Or he couldn't go without experiencing the exhilaration of placing a bet, using money he couldn't afford to lose. Or the short-lived euphoria of pornography. But through the process of 12-step recovery and the sacramental life of the Catholic Church, he came in contact with the healing power of God. So please welcome the founder and director of Catholic in Recovery. He is also the author of a book, The 12 Steps and the Sacraments, A Catholic Journey Through Recovery. Please welcome Mr. Scott Weeman. Scott, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Good to have you here. Good to have you here with us. Um, your book does a couple of very important things. First, it, you tell your own story. You also have the stories of a number of other people so that your reader can identify with so much of what you're going through, that this is not a theoretical approach, it's a lived approach. Would that be about right? <clears throat> yeah, it's absolutely right. And, and exactly what I needed, you know, when I found recovery was, I, <clears throat> I think there's this general understanding or a general um, uh, sentiment that we suffer alone, that we're the only person with this problem, that we, who might struggle with an addiction of some kind. And when we speak about addiction, speaking uh, pretty broadly, alcoholism, drug addiction, compulsive overeating, restricted eating, gambling, pornography, lust, the family side of addiction, codependency, technology, all these things. Yeah, sometimes even shopping becomes addictive. That's right. Spending. And there, there are groups that deal with that as well. Yep. All, I would categorize all of those things, the same, different symptoms of the same spiritual malady, that being distant from, distance from God. And um, yeah, in my condition, you know, I found a group of people who helped save my life by sharing their story, by sharing what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I walked into a room, of, a recovery room um, in October of 2011. Uh, people who s found freedom from what I was struggling with. This was rock bottom for me. I didn't think that there was going to be much hope for me. I had been, you know, most of the opportunities that had been presented in life seemed to be, had diminished as a result of my pursuit of alcohol, drugs, and other addictions. And I got to this meeting on a Monday morning, 7 a.m., early in the morning. Um, I was typically sleeping through a hangover during this time and got up to an Episcopal church where they were holding a 12-step recovery meeting. Um, and I knew I needed to be there. I didn't have a ton of hope that it was going to really work for me. I thought I was terminally unique. And uh, I remember walking up, actually hearing laughter and com camaraderie from the room upstairs. I thought, if these people knew how I'm feeling, there's no way that they should be laughing or, or <laughs> enjoying conviviality at all. Uh, but I got up hesitantly up to the room, back corner of the room, sat there, don't remember much from the meeting, but I do recall that afterwards we all got around in a circle, put our arms around each other and prayed the Lord's Prayer, which mm -hmm. as a, I grew up Catholic, nominally Catholic, um, but was through the sacraments as a child and adolescent, had been away from the church for quite some time at this time. And so the Lord's Prayer being one of the few prayers that I had really committed to memory, there's this sense during the midst of that prayer that I was at home, that there was this sense of, um, these are my people. I didn't have a t ton of time to digest that thought before a man darted across the room, looked me in the eye and said, I know exactly how you feel. You don't ever have to drink again. 
And those, those five words, I, I know how you feel, which you know, seemed to cut through all of my denial and rationalization of why I was acting that way or why I was pursuing you know, these, these addictions that were killing me. Um, you know, my family members, my friends were concerned. They did all that they could, um, but it wasn't, you know, there wasn't, they, they couldn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it wasn't until someone was speaking from true experience that that seemed to penetrate through, through my denial and get me into action. And he basically just invited me to a place of accompaniment, follow me. He said, he actually said, you and I are going on a journey together and neither one of us is coming back. And from there, we attended a daily recovery meeting every day. Um, I checked in with him throughout the day. He was a great support while I was just dealing with life without a drink or a drug one day at a time, which I had no sense of how to do that. And um, we would work together after a meeting, we would go to a coffee shop, Bible and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the two of those, and we would be reading through the big book, cross-referencing the two. We would refer to the scripture and back and forth. He held up the Bible and the big book. He said, the Bible, this book, is for people who don't want to go to hell. This book, the big book, is for people who have been there and have no interest in ever going back. And That's this, a great way to put it. I think so. And, yeah. and that I, you know, I was um, rationalizing the hell that I was putting myself into. I was rationalizing in a lot of ways, you know, well, I can do it on my own, or I can quit when I want to, or conditions are just tough right now. I'm using this to cope. And, you know, I bet there's uh, quite a few uh, viewers today who are probably rationalizing behavior in a similar way. Well, one, one of the things that you said uh, that I think is uh, important is that you didn't see a way out. Mm -hmm. You know, on one hand, you said, I can do this, but you also had, you know, a, a real problem. And I'd like to show a little clip that we have on the connection between addiction and despair. So let's take a quick look at that. Sure. There's no way to convey to anyone who has never experienced addiction just how much despair one lies in. My junior year of high school, I was walking with a friend to a party. We walked along the railroad tracks, which is how we got to places in this part of rural Wisconsin. And uh, I recall him handing me a beer. And what he said, I'll never forget. He said, Scott, don't think so much about what this is going to taste like, because at first it won't really taste that great. But just think about how good it'll make you feel. When I got into college, I began drinking and using drugs on a daily basis. My life was chaotic. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. A little bit insurmountable. I fell apart. I think the biggest consequence was my lack of honesty. Just not being able to be honest with the people, both in relationships and in jobs. I just was burned out. And I burned out in a few careers accordingly. You can only drink so much or work so many hours before it catches up with you. That, it wasn't just you. This was the experience of these folks and pretty much, I'd say the almost 99.9% .9 of the other folks. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be about right? <clears throat> yeah, I'd say that it's pretty similar. And regardless too, whether it's a pursuit of alcohol or drugs or lust or food or name the attachment, um, yeah, there's uh, a lot of consistencies. There's the sense of fear. There's the sense of isolation, growing isolation. Our, our worlds become much more secluded. There's, of course, dishonesty, which is a means of kind of managing consequences. And, and you talk about the dishonesty because one of the problems is it's not easy to admit what you're really doing. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, and, and some of the sins are more embarrassing to admit. And so you sort of spin stories. Mm -hmm. You describe that in your book. That there's a, I mean, you'd almost think you'd work for some of the news agencies. There's just a lot of spin. Absolutely. Yeah, we, you know, our minds can do, I mean, it's a disease. It's a, I would say it's a spiritual disease that centers in the mind. And that's actually the man who helped save my life planted that idea. He taught me about all about the nature of the disease of addiction, the spiritual malady of addiction, mm -hmm. making it very clear that this is a spiritual problem that requires a spiritual solution mm -hmm. and that no human power can relieve us of our addictions. We need a power greater than ourselves who we call God and know him as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, yes, there is this um, a very consistent, I would say, experience around to those who struggle with addiction. Similarly, family members too, who struggle with the family you know, impact of addiction, oftentimes will we'll recall similar ex experiences around isolating themselves, you know, kind of turning inward rather than seeking help because the, you know, there's this, I would say a cultural stigma that wants us to believe that the presence of an addiction in our life or the lives of others or the lives of our family members is some kind of a, a moral referendum on who we are. And so this stigma keeps us from either recognizing or identifying the problem within ourselves mm -hmm. because we don't know what does that mean? What is that? What is the consequence of that? What does that say about myself? Mm -hmm. And also, um, yeah, it, we need power greater than ourselves, and we need we need God in order to intervene in, in the process. Well, one of the things that you said a couple of times in the book is that we have a hole in our heart that only God can fill. Mm -hmm. It's a God-shaped hole. And as you described that, and trying to substitute drugs, these would be like little bits of dust trying to fill a hole the size of the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. it, it, only God can fill that hole, mm -hmm. and all these other attempts are inherently frustrating. Yeah, and corrosive. I would say not only, yeah, yeah frustrating, corrosive. We are pursuing God. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas says we pursue four things in place of God, power, pleasure, honor, and wealth. I would say that that captures a lot of the experience of the pursuit of addiction mm -hmm. or in some now even addiction, the term addiction, not everyone wants to assume that or use that term. If you prefer a compulsion or unhealthy attachment, if that works better, great. I don't care yeah. what you call it, as long as you recognize that it's a problem that's that needs a serious solution. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think, it, you know, one of the the, the things that you point out, as you go through the 12 steps, mm -hmm. uh, A, you can't pussyfoot around this. Mm -hmm. This is, your life mm -hmm. and your death are at stake. I know people who have died, friends and relatives who died because of it. Mm -hmm. It's not just, well, I'll just get a nice word for it. There, there's, there's no niceness about this. Mm -hmm. It's deadly. That's right. And so you'll see in 12-step in recovery meetings, you know, just like kind of in the church in a lot of ways too, you'll see we kind of got these old timers who, are, who have been around for a long time who are willing to tell you the truth and just to, to express the truth to you in a way that, that we need. We, you know, it may not make us comfortable, but it's going to put us in a direction that's going to allow us to, to find God. And um, yeah, we, the way that it was explained to me is that my recovery can't be something that's on my plate. My recovery has to be the plate upon everything, which everything else in my life rests. Recovery is the means by which I found God. It was, you know, seeking and, and really, you know, I, 
the, we, we played the video, told a little bit about my story, and you know, I, you mentioned before, I was kind of the last person that I needed to be honest with. You know, my family members who I made phone calls to and some friends who I made phone calls to to say, I need help. I'm not sure how I'm gonna find it, but I need help. They already knew that there was a problem, a yeah. bit of a problem. They, yeah. It wasn't a surprise to them. They'd seen the consequences. But what that was is really me telling, telling myself, me just admitting to my, in my deepest innermost self that I, I have a problem here that, that needs all of my attention. This must be the most important thing in my life that I pursue, which means, and, and the only way that I could get sober was by finding God. Um, and yeah. and that, that first step of the 12-step programs yeah. is you have to admit that you have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we admitted we were powerless over fill-in-the-blank, alcohol, drugs, lust, food, that our lives have become unmanageable. That, those two parts mm -hmm. are key. Absolutely. That it's not just that I'm powerless, it makes my life unmanageable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a cha challenge that some people have because they can rationalize. You know, we can, <clears throat> well, I haven't lost this yet. I, my life doesn't look like this. You know, we kind of, I think as a culture, have a, uh, an understanding of what we think addiction looks like. Pretty old, I can't old be an fashion. alcoholic. I get up for work every day. Exactly. Yep. I'm drunk, but I get up. Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of it. Yep. And so we make these rationalizations of why what we're doing is okay. And oftentimes, I mean, actually, really, it's oftentimes family members of the addict who are seeking help first, recognizing the problem, just as I mentioned in my family. You know, there were my parents and, and family members and close friends were, did everything that they could to help. They, you know, um, you know, whether that's, you know, then I got in trouble, I went to, to treatment for a little while, and I went to treatment kind of just to get my parents off my back for a little bit and stayed sober for about eight months, but not with any kind of a healthy alternative to seeking addiction, or to, to addiction. I was just white knuckling it pretty much. Went to a therapist once or twice and a recovery meeting, which I thought wasn't for me because it was dark and these people aren't all that hopeful. But that was just my sense of, of my experience. My um, experience of all that was painted by, by my sense of a lack of connection with God, I would say, first, in those early attempts to get sober, which never really amounted to anything, because I made the rationalization that I was too young. You know, I said, I'm, I was 21 years old when I got my second DUI, and I thought to myself, and, you know, comparing myself to uh, my peers who were in college and acting as college students do, but they could go to class on, the, on Monday or go to work. I couldn't do any of that, but I was making these rationalizations of, I'm too young to be an alcoholic, or, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't lost this, or... Um, but it was right, really just right. just digging my bottom further and further deeper. The uh, the second step, though, is to recognize that God is more powerful than your addiction. Mm -hmm. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, mm -hmm. which implies insanity. Yeah, <laughs> which um, you it's know part of the first step. You have to admit you're insane and need God to bring into sanity. Exactly. So, um, you know, as we're working through these steps, there's a lot of spiritual exercises involved. We, we don't just think about it. We don't just, it's not just a mental exercise, but we, you know, we give it prayerful thought. We, we spend time as we're working through all 12 of the steps, yeah. uh, spending time writing, sharing it with another person. You know, it's one thing to think about it. It's another thing to put it pen to paper. It's another thing to share it 
with God and then another person, a sponsor, someone who's taking us through the 12 steps. Sure. But yes, that um, implication of insanity in the second step means that we've been trying something over and over, expecting different results per one definition. Um, but it does also imply that we need God, a power, we, we can't, without the help of God, find freedom from addiction. One of the difficulties in some 12-step groups, it's nothing with any official you know, organization or anything, but with some of the groups, they say it's God as you conceive him, mm -hmm. as whom you, you need help from. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, they think that it's their duty to make a God they're comfortable with. A, that strikes me as undoing the steps. You have to deal with the real God, not the God I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I like about your book and, and your, your organization is that you connect these steps to the sacraments. To, to Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. the Redeemer, mm -hmm. is the one who has the power to do this. And the sacraments he gave us are normal means. And you integrate that mm -hmm. into what you write. Mm -hmm. that, was, that, that was also very powerful. Yeah, I think that for me, I found recovery first. I opened myself up to God as I understood him at the time, which was a pretty general understanding of God, which became more specific as I got deeper into the church. Mm -hmm. But recovery provided me a platform to find the church and to find God through the church while also surrendering to him and allowing him to work a miracle in my life, which means, you know, kind of removing these layers of self-centeredness that I had, had so well crafted over the course of my drinking and other, you know, addictive behaviors. And, um, and allow God to do with me what I couldn't do for myself, staying sober yeah. one day at a time. There was, and then after, you know, it wasn't, I couldn't pinpoint the exact moment. Two months, three months after I um, got sober, the obsession to drink was lifted. It was removed. Every day for a while, I was waking up just, all I could think about was the, the drink. I just, you know, a drink would help relieve this, or it would help boost this, or it would, you know, but there was a day, and I couldn't, it, it was not like a light went off or anything like that, but just the obsession to drink was gone. And that was a miracle for someone who drank or used drugs or mind-altering behaviors or substances on a regular basis daily. Um, that, was a that was miraculous. Yeah. And I wanted to know more. I wanted to get to know this God of my understanding, this higher power. And I'd give him definition. And, you know, growing up in the church... Um, brought me back. It brought me back to this place where I knew that along with the help of 12-step addiction recovery, I needed to find um, definition and specificity to my higher power and found him in the church, in Jesus, in the sacraments, through scripture, through the children of God, through the, my, my siblings in Christ, um, yeah. other sons and daughters of God. And uh, yeah, that's, it's been an, an amazing journey. Well, you make specific connections between the first three steps in particular with baptism, mm -hmm. the next steps with confirmation, uh, with uh, confession, and, and mm -hmm. uh, up through confirmation. And mm -hmm. um, I'd like just to show a little clip that, of something you did sure. to show the way that the sacraments work with the 12 steps. Right. Let's take a look at that. The sacraments were very much part of my 12-step process. Catholic in Recovery gives them a place to talk as a Catholic 
in that Catholic venue to other Catholics, which they don't get anywhere else. We began our first Catholic in Recovery group in January of 2017 and has been going strong ever since then. It's a general recovery group where people with a variety of addictions and unhealthy attachments gather together. We read scripture together. We overlap it with the recovery topic and liturgical themes and share in a way that is more honest than you'll hear outside of the confessional. Catholic in Recovery is an open door to the church. Those who have found recovery, who have been sober or have found freedom from a variety of addictions, they're finding their way back into the Catholic Church through Catholic in Recovery groups. What I found myself in Catholic and recovery meetings is that those people had something that I wanted. There was something working in my life really that I needed to explore more fully. And so then I started going to the meetings at the church for um, adult faith formation, the rites of Christian initiation. It gave me a sense of purpose, a place to go to where I felt needed and wanted. It really made me be aware of what the faith meant. I feel a presence and I have to say it's Him, it's God, and it's, it's a good place. My life just keeps getting better and better. I just was baptized and confirmed at Easter Vigil. How much better does it get than that? People are hungry for addiction recovery in the church. They've got their life on their shoulders, so to speak. They're carrying their baggage, if you want to use that phrase and they don't know where to put it down and they don't know if they're welcome. We need to heal the wounds of those in our communities, those in our families and those in our lives. And what better way of doing it by showing our own wounds, just as Christ did, saying, peace be with you. As a church, it's time for us to reclaim that. It's a place for them to come, be welcome, and know that their faith is as welcome as they are. I mentioned how you know in the, the, the steps you have to do a thorough moral inventory mm -hmm. and that at some point you need to share what happened, mm -hmm. you know, what you discovered about yourself mm -hmm. and your your moral failings with another human being. And part of the point you bring out is that confession is an extremely safe place to do that. After you say something in confession, it's done. Mm -hmm. The priest can't say, hey, are you still stealing cars? How's that going? <laughs> no, 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 we, we can't. We, we can't bring it up to you, yeah. let alone anybody else. Yeah. So, you know, this is a great gift that fits into those steps, well, as well as the Eucharist, and then confirmation is uh, essential because Part of the 12 steps is you need to go out and help other folks. Mm -hmm. More than just part of it. I think that's the whole thing. Yeah. It's, it is, it's, and that's the Christian walk as well. There's not too much difference in that we've been given, a, we've been freely given this great gift. Yeah. And the only way that we're able to keep it is if we're willing to give it away. Yeah. And um, yes, I, the sacraments, I think the most blatant overlap between the sacraments and the 12 steps are in the sacrament of reconciliation, mm -hmm. overlapping with steps four through nine, mm -hmm. which really brings out the fullness of the sacrament. We, as you mentioned, make a thorough, for a thorough moral inventory of ourselves. Mm -hmm. In step five, we share that with God, ourselves, and another human being. Can be done with a sponsor, can be done in a confessional, can be done both, I would suggest. Yeah, you did both. You, went, you talked to your <clears throat> sponsor and then you went to confession. Yeah. Two very different experiences. Mm -hmm. I feel just as confident that my sponsor is not going to say anything about what I shared with him in that exactly. fifth step. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, there were some things, you know, when I spoke with the priest in the confessional, he didn't share some of his stuff with me. 
which uh, was what happened in the, you know, when I did a fifth step. And I've done work through the steps several times since that initial kind of working through the steps. But, you know, my sponsor then sharing with me some of the stuff that he had been, you know, some of his darkest secrets, if you will, kind of brought, like, leveled the playing field and recognized, wow, you know, this man who I look up to and seek counsel from and, uh, you know, have really entrusted a lot, he's been through a lot just like I have. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a sense of, um, yeah, connection. There's this sense of um, equal, equal, you know, equality with each other. We're just walking two by two with 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 Jesus, really, um, not too different from you know, as the uh, two apostles are finding Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Well, you you also mention that as you talk about the moral failures, it's not as if you said, oh, this is just maybe even more down. It's just you found that the more you honest you were and the more open you were in confessing your mm -hmm. sin, the more peace you grew in. Yeah. Which that, was that surprised you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Far from my attitude before I found recovery, which yeah. was hide, escape, don't let anyone know, lie about it, manipulate, deceive. I found that there was such freedom in, in just being honest first with myself. I mean, that's the most important thing is being honest with myself and God and recognizing that there's a problem. This is what the problem is. This is what the problem has looked like. What do I need to do today? And all I can do is today uh, to find freedom today. And, um, you know, building on that one day at a time, you know, create has, has led to a life of great freedom. And the only way I've been able to, God has made it possible for as I share my story with others, that other people find some familiarity with the story and recognize maybe, you know, that was a bit like me. Just like I, you know, found a lot of familiarity with the stories of those who continue to share in 12-step recovery groups or in Catholic and recovery groups, um, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Um, I, making spiritual progress one day at a time was something that I was longing for and couldn't get enough of. It's like this, uh, God had planted the seed of just, of hope, and I wanted to know more. I wanted to pursue Jesus. I wanted to read all the scriptures. I wanted to uh, read all the books that described my my Lord, the author of life, and um, yeah, just you know, live life with gratitude and um, humility. That that was one last thing too. I want because we have to take a break, but the other element that recurred in the stories about your life and these other folks is the need to be humble. Uh, the, the arrogance and narcissism mm -hmm. that is so much part of our society and the anger that is used to defend the pride and the arrogance mm -hmm. and narcissism is destroying people. Now, you can't have conversations in families because everybody, well, I can't tolerate your experience or your feelings. Your, and that's not... Christian, and it's not the experience of being humble and honest. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I also found very important. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a break. Uh, again, if you want to find out more, you can go to the website catholicinrecovery.com. Catholicinrecovery.com. And you'll find a lot more information and ways to connect with this Catholic community that is working its way to sanity with the help of God. 
We'll be back with your questions and your comments, so please stay with us. Welcome back. We are with Scott Weeman, who is the author of this book, The Twelve Steps and the Sacraments, A Catholic Journey Through Recovery. And there's also a workbook, the Catholic in Recovery workbook, that's also meant to help, you know, not only read about the stories, but then to guide you in working this, and you can get both of them at EWTNRC.com, our uh, religious catalog, EWTNRC.com, and uh, so it's available there. Also, you can go to CatholicInRecovery.com slash 40-Day Challenge. This is uh, calling for 40 meetings in 40 days, begins today in Ash Wednesday. Be a great way to help uh, folks work through Lent, especially if there is some addictive behavior in life that you really know you've got to change. I'm not going to be stuck in my pride and in my denial. I'm going to really take this to God and let him turn my life around. Are you ready for some questions, Mr. Scott? Let's do it. All right, let's start off with Tom in the great state of South Carolina. Tom, what can we do for you? Hi, Father Mitch. This is Tom McDonough. Great. And Good to have you. I'm in uh, South Carolina. And the situation is I'm going through a lot what God has been talking about. Mm -hmm. But mine is also with depression. Sure. And if there's a group in Boiling Springs, South Carolina, that I can talk with, I would be interested in getting more information sent to me. And I could give that uh to the phone people after I get some information from Scott. Sure, sure. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't know, do you know if you have any groups in South Carolina yet? We have a group just over the border. Actually, no, we do. We do have a group in North Myrtle Beach. I think that's, yeah, South Carolina, considered South Carolina. Uh -huh. Regard, um, you know, thank you, Tom, for calling. and. Um, your experience, you're, you're certainly not alone. You know, you're not alone in that challenge. No. No. Um, a couple of things here, speaking both of how do I find a group? You know, I'm, I've, I've got a problem, I'm challenged, I, it's, a, it's not easy. It also includes mental health challenges as well. What do I do? Mm -hmm. What can I do today in order to find help and find freedom? Yep. There might be a Catholic in Recovery group nearby, um, depending on where you live. I don't know the geography of South Carolina all that well, 
but we do have, you know, maybe there's a group within driving distance. We do in Tom's specific case, we have a group in North Myrtle Beach. We also have a group across the border in Georgia, in Augusta, Georgia, uh, which is active. But you can also participate in virtual meetings. Some don't particularly have this resistance to virtual meeting, but if, um, you know, if your willingness to overcome what it is that you're stuck in today um, is great enough, I think that, that you can even overcome that obstacle. And, and Tom, let me give you that website. Uh, you may want to go there. It's called catholicinrecovery.com. Mm -hmm. And if you can't get to Augusta, uh, then you might be able to s start meeting some folks at that website. They'll, they'll, there'll be virtual meetings mm -hmm. that you can uh, find right then and there, and that'd be very useful to you to get started. And maybe you'll be the one who helps start a group where close to where you live, because you may not be alone That's right. in your area. I'm sure you're not, in fact. Mm -hmm. Not alone. We have a question from our studio audience. Sir, where are you from? Uh, Deacon Tim Walters from uh, the Diocese of Toledo. I'm from Fremont, Ohio. Great. Good and to have you here. Welcome. Thank Deacon. you. It's been very interesting. And Scott, my question is, in leading these groups, these recovery groups, do you find more success if the leader is a recovering alcoholic or that type of thing? Or, or uh, can anyone lead these groups and be successful at them? Yeah, that's a great question works best and almost in all cases we have someone who has personal experience with recovery themselves which means that they struggled with an addiction and found uh, help in overcoming it thanks to God and the 12 steps and so yes it does work best when there's someone who has the personal experience rather than it's a peer really a peer-led group you know which is um, it's a wonderful thing but it's also not something that you can just kind of plug in and just uh, you know press play on a program or something like that there's um, you know it takes a lot of human vulnerability human um yeah human interaction you know it's really but it's a beautiful way i think as far as just evangelization and um i think something that the church can um can lean into as people are seeking seeking help seeking god it's not when we're on a winning streak that we're seeking god you know we think we've got it all together then but oftentimes when we're in perhaps either in despair or challenged by an addiction mm -hmm. um or just yeah needing something other than what we have today and um it that, that invitation, I think, is often accepted when we are kind of at a low point in our lives, when we're open or vulnerable. There's also something you bring out, um, the, the famous writer Henry Nouwen had brought out, that there is the role of the wounded healer, mm -hmm. that the person who shares those wounds can have a, a certain type of empathy mm -hmm with the person in need that another person doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily have mm -hmm. or understand. Yeah. And this is part of the great role of God's grace in those last couple of steps uh, of the 12 steps of recovery. Yeah. You understand and can relate to the person better than folks who've not been through it. Mm -hmm. For example, Tom, who just called, is going to go to catholicinrecovery.com slash 40, 40 days challenge. He's going to sign up for this 40 meetings and 40 days challenge. He's going to find freedom throughout Lent. For the first time in a long time, he's going to go over a month without taking a drink. He's going to continue to press into that daily action. He's going to meet people who have been in his shoes right where he is today. 
and they're going to love on him. They're going to show him the way. They're going to, like, like reaching into a well, are going to grab his hand and lift him up and take him on the walk, the journey with him. And Tan will find freedom over the course of six to 12 months, uh, working through the steps, finding people similar to him who have had similar challenges. He's going to be a new man in his family and in his place of employment because he's going to have a new outlook on life. And um, fear is going to change. It's going to dissolve from him when he's actively working a, a recovery program yeah. and leaning into the sacraments. He's going to know a new freedom and a new happiness, as it says in our literature. And, um, and then he's going to start a group and he's going to be the light. He's going to be the person to answer the door or the call when someone calls and says, hey, I've been struggling just like you have. Mm -hmm. I need help. And you know what, I even have had a little depression along the way as well. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. sure if it's the depression causing the addiction or the addiction causing the, the depression. It doesn't matter. Either way, I know that I need God's help. And I've tried to do it on my own for so far too long. And now I'm here today just saying, God, do with me what you will. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, again, allowing God to be the one who's able to fit the hole in our hearts that's meant for God. Mm -hmm because only he can. Mm -hmm. And that's a very important element. Mm -hmm. Sir, where are you from? Um, my name is Adam Feistamel. I'm a seminarian for the Diocese of Albany, New York. Um, it's, re it's great to be here. Um, I'm actually reading, well, I will be reading your book as part of my formation program. Um, so it's, it's really neat that I'm mm -hmm. in town at this time when you're here. Um, my question is, um, as a future priest, what are some ways that we could um, better support um, addiction recovery as well as a program like yours, mm -hmm. Catholic in Recovery? Yeah, great question. And I think this is where, you know, a lot rests on our priests as far, and a lot rests on the lay people as well. You know, I think that there's a necessary humility really within the church, a, re a required humility that maybe we don't have it to the fullest extent today that is, um, well, first of all, speaking about this issue, you know, we, the church, I think, oftentimes acts much like a dysfunctional family acts, and, and dysfunctional is really just a result of adapting to the addiction. But, you know, the way that we treat addiction today um, could be improved as far as just like, just like a dysfunctional family in some ways that's identified an addiction problem within the family, but doesn't want anyone to know and wants to kind of manage it in-house and doesn't, you know, like we tiptoe around it. Um, we can't be tiptoeing around this anymore. Mm -mm. We need to call it into the open. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. you know, I think that seminarians, priests, Catholic leaders can do much. First of all, recognize if it's not something that, you know, if a priest, there are plenty of priests who, have, who struggle with addiction. There are plenty of priests who have struggled with addiction and have found recovery and are active in a recovery program. If that is, uh, those priests have a very effective way of serving communities that are struggled, struggling with an addiction because they have firsthand experience with it. Mm -hmm. But if not, then having the recognition and the humility to know, you know, I can certainly provide spiritual counsel for this person, but I also must uh, connect him with someone who's got the, the real life experience that this person has, perhaps someone of the same sex. That means knowing the sheep. That means knowing your sheep and who to connect people with. Um, so as a priest, you know, there's a variety of things. Um, you know, certainly providing a space within a church for people who are seeking God in a very authentic and um, humble way in recovery, providing space. 
uh, making referrals to Catholic in Recovery or to other 12-step recovery groups. But I would say spend time getting to know people who are in recovery, who are working a recovery program. Mm -hmm. And just ask them about their experience finding God, find, uh, you know, their participation in the church, how, how they relate their 12-step addiction recovery with the sacramental life of the church. That experience is going to be different from everyone. Um, but really learn from the people who have been there, are walking the path. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, empowering um, staff as well. You know, parish staffs from one parish to another can look vastly different. It might just be a pastor and an administrator, but there might be a variety of other people on staff. And, you know, sometimes that might be a um, RCIA director who's shepherding people who, I would guess, in most RCIA programs, there are people in there who are in recovery, who have found uh, miraculous, God working miraculously in their lives mm -hmm. and want to return to the church or pursue the church for the first time. Um, but then also, you know, other people who are working within the church are going to have some touch points with addiction as well. Some of them not so, not so pretty. In fact, someone who's the funerals director at a parish might be, and it probably is, if, if working long enough, is going to be dealing with funerals that are related to overdose, yep. funerals that are related to suicide, which have an inherent, um, oftentimes at the root, there is some uh, addiction, whether it's mm -hmm. substance abuse or behavioral addictions. Mm -hmm. uh, so really just, you know, not shying away from the conversation. Yep. Um, and one of the points you make too that's a practical one but, and worth noting is that a num uh, when people want to do their, you know, their moral inventory and then go yes. to see somebody, you mentioned that it's a good idea to make an appointment. Uh, most people coming to Saturday Confessions, you know, have, have been to confession recently. They have something rather on their mind. But this would be a longer time, and the priest would be able to have a little extra time to spend with a person mm -hmm. without, you know, people banging on the door to get mm -hmm. in. So it's, uh, you know, a good thing to, to have as a priest, you know, that openness to say, yeah, I'm, I can, I'm ready to make that appointment. I'll be there for you. Yeah. Very important to do all mm -hmm. that. So this is a good thing. <clears throat> yeah, get educated. Learn yep. about the 12 steps. Yep. You don't have to be, know the big book by heart or have to be able to rattle off this, each step perhaps, but I think that just some light education. Participate or attend a 12-step group in your community. And attend, you can attend an open group. Yeah. Some groups are closed just for the people that are seeking freedom from that particular addiction, but others are open. Participate. See yeah. what it's like. Yeah, yeah. That's that can be very useful. Mm -hmm. Very useful. We have an, uh, a caller on the line who'd like to remain anonymous. Um, hello, ma'am. Hello. Yeah, yeah. What can we do for you today? I'd like to reconnect with my uh, younger brother, and who uh, he was an alcoholic. I think he's turned himself around. But he does not want to uh, talk to me at all. And I thought this morning, uh, in listening to your show, I thought maybe the, this is the way to reconnect with my younger brother. Mm-hmm. One, one of the things that is a, an important step is recognizing that there are some people to whom I have to make amends. Mm -hmm. And then the next step after that is going to those people to make amends so long as it doesn't hurt them or somebody else. Right. 
correct? Correct, yes. And this would be something I would hope her brother recognizes that sanity includes making amends to people you, you hurt or that you think hurt you. And you talk about that in here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, caller. Um, <clears throat> I, I can hear the authentic desire for reconciliation in her voice. Yeah. And um, I'm gonna guess that if she is um, just uh, standing in the mental exercise of wishing that her brother would take the action to make amends, that she might be waiting for quite some time. And so we can um, not control or change that person. But what could happen is that um, she might decide that she wants to make an amends. Mm -hmm. um, and this process, so step eight, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And step nine, be, to do it, we go out, we make such amends except when to do so would, would injure them or others. Now the step eight part of it is really important. And that is, uh, there is some preparation in there. There is some prayer, uh, quite a bit of prayer in there. You know, because oftentimes we're stepping in front of people or we're getting, we're going to be making amends with people who we also feel like they've hurt us. And so there is this mutual, you know, well, I rationalize my behavior because you've done this to me. And so, you know, my behavior, my response is just um, a consequence of you misbehaving. And so we can be pointing the fingers, you know, we point at the yeah. fingers, waiting for someone else to, um, to come around or for, to reconcile. But I think it sounds like an, actually an opportunity where she can uh, perhaps caller can um, can lean into the 12 steps herself and maybe even recognizing too and now in the amends process uh, for me what that looked like was you know kind of making a list okay these are the ones that are going to be easier to make these are the ones that are going to be moderately challenging to make and my sponsor even had me make a list of these are the ones that I'm not even going to do it like good luck getting me to do it I'm not going to be doing these ones. Mm -hmm. We start working on the easier ones at first, not just going willy-nilly and making amends, but doing a lot of preparation, writing do not send letters, coming to really understand my part in the, in the, in the breakup, in the, in the um, challenge, in the relationship. Not bringing anything else from that person, what that person's done, not trying to justify my bad behavior at all, but rather just bringing to the table what I've done wrong to harm the relationship and asking how can yeah. I make this right. Yeah. Hard to do. It's not easy to do when we're yeah. making, we don't make any excuses for ourselves. We don't point out what that person has done wrong to us, but rather we just simply bring to them the amends. And um, that is the, now how, do that, how that person responds is beyond our control, but we've taken the action that we feel is within God's will. Exactly. And we're pursuing that. We can, we can sleep with integrity. And we don't, but we don't make these amends so that we can sleep well. We do it for the general good, for the really authentic reconciliation of the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and and, we, and it's part of making ourselves right with our Lord. Yes. You know, to, to do this. This is a very important aspect. And I would, uh, to the, the anonymous lady, you may want to go through this workbook mm -hmm. and you say, but I'm not an alcoholic. That, that's fine. But go through it because oftentimes the family members become what, what they often call codependent, enmeshed in the dynamic mm -hmm. of the alcoholic. And you don't worry about confessing their sins and their failures. You look at yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you know, get, go through it step by step.
and then make an offer. Tell, you can tell your brother, I've been going through this 12-step program myself to understand you and to understand me before God and my problems and insanities. And I want, uh, I'm at the step, I want to make reconciliation. If you would like, I'd be happy to. If you don't, I'm going to continue praying anyway. Mm -hmm. That would be a good, clean mm -hmm. way to do it. And, and pray for that person Absolutely. while you're preparing. Your Absolutely. heart will, it'll, that'll change your heart. I strongly recommend, especially during Lent, the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Have mercy on us. Not have mercy on them. Mm -hmm. They need it. No, have mercy on us. I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. Hail Mary works too, because it's pray for us sinners. Not those sinners over there, but pray for us sinners. Mm. Sir, where are you from? Father, uh, Greg Portner from Bowie, Maryland. Great. Uh, and your question or comment? Yeah, so my question is kind of along the same lines as the last. Uh, what can family members do, right, to help people in their lives and their family, right, um, to on the journey of recovery, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times it seems like people need to hit rock bottom before they do anything, and it kind of has to come from them. Is there anything that a family member or friend can do? Mm -hmm. Great question. Perhaps the question that I hear most often. Um, it's usually concerned loved ones and family members and friends who are reaching out for help before the individual who is impacted by addiction. Like in my case, you know, my, my family and friends knew what I was going through. They knew that I had a problem before I did. When I was calling them to tell them that I had the problem, I was basically calling to tell myself that I had the problem. Yeah. And this is what I will say, I will deem a spiritual, a family spiritual disease that requires a full family solution. And this is, there are many levels to this and layers to this. Sometimes the family member doesn't want to hear mm -hmm. that they are the one that they, they would benefit from recovery as well yeah. because they, there's a lot of resentment there. They feel, well, I've, yeah, why do I need to do something about absolutely. this? This is this person's fault. Yeah. Now, again, this is, again, pointing it, fingers. It's not, it's not about making sure everybody knows who's at blame. Yes. But finding God yes. and letting him heal the effects of our diseases. Exactly. Uh, I'm afraid, though, I can't heal the lack of time. Oh, no. Yeah, we're out of it. So family members can find healing in recovery themselves. I'll say Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, and there are retreats for Catholic in Recovery, uh, March 24th at Mackenzie Bridge, Oregon, June 2nd to 4th in Hansville, Alabama, uh, October 13th to 15th in Wichita, Can Kansas. Go to catholicinrecovery.com for more info. Mm -hmm. Scott, thank you so much for making the journey from San Diego to be here with us. Um, thank you for all the work that you've done. May the Lord bless you and bless all of you in our audience this Ash Wednesday and throughout Great Lent. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we can bring you this program with Scott and all the other programs only because the network is brought to you by you when you keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill. That's how we get to pay all of our bills, too. Thank you for your support.